Welcome to the Save Your Marriage by Restoring the Man podcast, dedicated to all the men who are going through marital problems and want to save their marriages, with host Arturo Henriquez and sponsored by The Fortified Spouse. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. Uh, Before we get started, please, please, if you like this podcast, if you like these episodes, please leave your rating, please leave a comment. It helps with the algorithm which allows us to reach more men who are going through marital problems like yourselves. And also, if you want a private complimentary call with myself, go to www.fortifiedspouse.com forward slash call, C-A-L-L, and we will talk about your particular situation. Again, it's complimentary and it's in private. Remember, this podcast is designed to help you save and transform your marriage no matter where you are, no matter what the crisis is, Sometimes you're right on the edge of there and you're not sure what to do. This is the podcast to help you, you know, pull you back from the edge to find a new way of moving forward in your relationship and in your life. Now, let me share a story with you about James. James is a client and he called me on the phone and he was absolutely breathless. The first words out of his mouth were, I have to save my marriage. And then before I could say anything, he ran through the desperate reasons why he needed to save his marriage. He needed to save it for the kids. He needed to prove to himself that he could make this work. He didn't want to be in trouble financially. He didn't want to lose the house. He didn't want to lose his wife. He didn't want to lose the attention. He didn't want to lose the prestige in the community. He didn't want to have to go back to church to face people. He didn't want to have to deal with his friends and their questions, his family and their questions, and on and on and on he went. He spoke. I don't think he took a breath. I'm not sure how he got the oxygen in to keep going, but he kept that air going in and kept on going through the reasons. And then he took a breath and I said, take a bigger breath. Take a large breath because we've got to change something. If we're going to move forward with working on your relationship, if we're going to save your marriage, you have to make one huge change right now. And that is to go from desperation to aspiration, to hope, to go from that desperate place to that huge place where you can actually work because desperation is not a good place to be working from. So let me talk a little bit about why that is. You see, desperation comes from our fear brain. We really have several brains in our head and we don't realize it. We don't realize that there are three distinct brains. It's called the triune brain theory that says that there are three brains in our head and there are only two phases that our brain can be in. And because of that, there are only two phases that we are capable of being in. And one is fear. The other is love. Another way of understanding love is to be at a place of gratitude and appreciation, of being at a place of aspiration, of hope. But fear and desperation are much more of our core piece. So let's just talk for a minute about how the brain is layered. On the most primitive part of our brain is called the amygdala. Now the amygdala is designed really for one thing. It's called the reptilian brain. It's all designed to figure out if there's a threat there. Now, that it's just looking for that threat, trying to figure out how to stay alive. It's just a basic mechanism of survival, which means it's always looking for the threats on the horizon. Never looking for what are the opportunities, always looking for the threats. 
And so because of that piece of the brain, it's just wired into kind of a threat mentality. Now, right on top of that piece of the brain, the amygdala or the lizard brain is the limbic system or the mammalian brain. The limbic system is the part that has emotions. It fills those emotions and it really is the place where we add on the way we connect with other people, other creatures. Even lizards aren't much about worrying about whether they get the warm fuzzies from other lizards. And if they're around them, they're around them to procreate or for survival purposes. That's opposed to other warm-blooded animals, mammalian animals that pack together because there is a sense of connection between them. If you notice when you look at a bunch of dogs together, they have an affinity towards each other, which isn't just about survival. They either get along or they don't get along, but they have an emotional response to that. And look at humans. Humans are even more so, we either connect with some people or disconnect with other people. There's an emotional response to being with people. Now, if you add on the limbic system and the amygdala, you have the emotion of fear, the emotion of feeling overwhelmed, the emotion of desperation. Now, on top of the limbic system, there's another brain, and it's the one that humans are most proud of, but it's not the one that's often in command, and that's the neocortex. The neocortex is the part of the brain that we're most proud of. It's the part of the brain that's all about reason and about vocalization. One of the real differences between humans and other creatures is because of the words we have. We can think about concepts down the road. We can wonder, what am I going to do tomorrow? What am I going to do next week? What am I going to do in 10 years? As far as we know, animals don't contemplate that too much, and they're just kind of what's going on right now. They might be very content to be around other animals with them, but they're not all coming up with a plan of what they're going to be doing next, you know, Thanksgiving or next Christmas, or what they're going to be doing after the new year. They're just hanging out together. Humans are a little different. We can call forth thoughts and begin to have interesting ideas because of the words of the way we think about them. We notice that humans think in words and pictures, while animals would only be thinking in pictures. And so because of that, I can choose to think about what happened last Christmas. I have a place in there that is, it's a place setting. I can think about what happened on my wedding day. I can think about the last argument I had with somebody. I can think about the last argument I had with my wife, and I can call those memories up. And because of that, I also suffer the emotional response of that. That limbic system gets activated by by how we think. And so you're constantly thinking about all the bad things that could happen. You're feeling all of those bad pieces, which is triggering the deeper parts. In other words, our neocortex, the part of us that could steer us towards reason, if you kind of think in that you know Spock-like way, also steers us towards pain and discomfort because we go back towards those feelings of threat, and then we create thoughts of threat. And so when James was talking to me, he was very clear about all those fears that he could name. And every time he named a fear, it dragged him back to that primitive part of the brain. It dragged him past the limbic into the amygdala again. And so every time he did that, 
he reactivated the fear response in his body. Now, what is the fear response of your body? You know, it is as being flooded with adrenaline and feeling that fight or flight place, or maybe even your feet feel like running or your arms feel like flailing and you just feel like you're so captured or you feel like you've got to get away or you feel like you got to take someone on. And those pieces come from the amygdala. And because of that, we can get ourselves wrapped up and do lots of damage to relationships because we're lashing out from that amygdala, that threat place, that fight or flight. It's kind of like when you're dealing with a reptile, right? They get near them and they're going to strike or they're going to get away from you. And those are the two responses that come out of the part of the brain. It's that neurocortex, if we're misusing it, if we're constantly drawing from our desperation place, we're constantly triggering that fear response. We're constantly triggering that threat response. And so what happens is instead of using the top part of the brain, which is about aspiration, hope, and love, we drag ourselves right back down to that primitive part of the brain that's all about the threat. And with the limbic system tied in there all about fear of how you're going to lose this connection or lose all these opportunities in life. And so when that happens, we find ourselves caught in this place of desperation. And I would just like to say that that place where marriages are actually saved is not desperation. It's hope. It's aspiration. Think about how your relationship developed. Likely developed around the pattern of hope, of aspiration. You were probably talking with your spouse before your your spouse about the things you wanted to do, the things you wanted to accomplish, your dreams, your hopes, your expectations. You were listening to your spouse's dreams, hopes, and expectations. And you were falling in love with the idea of what could be. You were falling in love with the potential that was there. You fall in love with aspiration. You fall in love with hope. But when the connection is threatened, you suddenly feel desperation. It pulls you to a different place because you don't want to lose what you felt before. So let's go through that one more time because I want you to be very, very clear about this. And I know, I know I threw a lot at you. What happens when you're falling in love, when you're falling into connection with each other, when you're deepening that level of connection you have to each other, you're working from a inspirational place, a place of hope. You're aware of what you appreciate about this other person and you're grateful for them. And you feel that deep sense of love when you're coming apart. When the connection becomes strained, then you're working from a place of desperation. You're going from aspiration to desperation. And the desperation begins to pull us further and further into that place of threat in our brain. And so when James was talking to me, he had lost all sense of hope, of aspiration for the relationship. He was only working from desperation. He was only working on the threat of what might happen, what he might lose. And so he told me all the litany of all the things that he might lose. He was actually just pulling himself back down further and further towards that threat model, doing nothing to move him towards what he really wanted. We never save a relationship out of desperation. It just doesn't work because it's not a connecting place. 
When somebody's desperate, think about how many times in life you've seen that somebody's so desperate that they actually repel people. One of the pieces of advice that they have when you're going into a job is to make sure you're not too desperate. Now, there are pieces of that that you go, well, how could I not be desperate if I need a job? It's simple. It's whether you're telling yourself over and over how much you need that job, or if you're asking yourself the question, is this job for me? There are lots of jobs out there. The question is, is this the one that works for me? Not, I'm desperate for a job, but is this job for me? The same is true in relationships. When people are most desperate, they find it the hardest to find a relationship. How many people have you heard the story where they were looking and looking and looking for somebody to date and they just couldn't find it? And so finally they gave up and into their life walked this other person. Well, what was happening before is their desperation was leading them down the path and they were finding that they were repelling people instead of attracting people. Desperation is repelling aspiration. It's repelling hope, though it's very attractive. It pulls people towards you and it pulls hope and help towards you because you're moving at a different vibration. And so when you're talking about that, you're letting off these subtle clues. Now, I'm not talking here about some metaphysics of this. If you believe that, that's fine. I'm talking about the little pieces you let out, the way you talk, what you're looking for, what you focus on, the places that you talk about things, the way you are with people, your emotional state. There's a way that we all recognize when somebody's just at a desperation point and it pulls us away from them. But then look to the people that you see who really seem like they're moving somewhere. They really have their hopes and dreams together. They're hopeful. They're aspirational. That's attractive. And so as you think about this, begin to recognize that the aspiration, the part of you that was in process when you were connecting, is the part that you've got to recall. you got to bring back. We've got to move back towards now. Even if your marriage is in trouble, you can aspire to have a much better relationship. You can aspire to have the dream relationship you've always wanted, but you've got to disconnect from desperation in order to get there. So let's talk for a few minutes about some words that are going to set the stage for you. On the one side is fear, and on the other side is love or hope or appreciation. So one of the things to recognize about fear is that it's triggered. That's just part of your brain that's constantly looking for threat. It's triggered. There's nothing you can do to stop that. And so recognize that the moments when you go, oh, I'm afraid I'm going to lose this. Well, you're actually naturally, that's what I would expect on automatic. That means that your guard dropped a little bit and you allowed it to be triggered. So recognize that that's a natural part of the process. And then we're going to set it aside because love and hope and aspiration are chosen when you choose to move in aspirational ways. It's exactly that. It's a choice. It's always a choice. We always have a choice to step away from our fear piece, the one that's triggered, and move to something greater than when it's chosen. So think about how often you're triggered by the fears and then recognize that there are times in your life when you've chosen the aspiration, the hope, when you've decided to move in that direction, and that's available to you at any time. Many people say, well, what am I supposed to do? Something made me fearful. Yes, that's the automatic trigger. That's automatic. Now, 
you can choose to move towards an aspirational viewpoint. Now, let's put two other words together. Fear is reactive. Love and aspiration are responsible. It's reactive versus response. Reactivity versus responsibility. So reactivity means that when somebody is talking to us and we feel that fear, we react in one of two ways. We either react combatively or withdrawingly. We either react in a fighting way or a flight way. Or we freeze. That's the other possibility, but it's reactive. And so when we find ourselves kind of pushing against either to get away from or pushing against in order to fight, we know that we're in a fear response. It's reactive. Now, as I said, aspiration, hope, is responsible. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that whatever's going on is your responsibility. It's your fault. We have a problem in our country of talking about responsibility because we believe it's about the same place. That was true in our childhood when somebody said, who's responsible for spilled milk? Who's responsible for this place here? Who's responsible for that broken furniture there? Who's responsible for that broken window? Now, somebody could have stepped up and said, I'll take responsibility for that and not have caused it. But that's not how we were trained. We were trained to equate responsibility with blame. Who's responsible for the broken window with who did it? Who's to blame? But what if you can move to the real word response? Having responsibility is the ability to respond. Responsible. I'm able to choose my response. So instead of being reactive, I choose a response that I want. I choose to hand it a certain way. I'm going to choose to have a response that's different than perhaps my spouse is having. And perhaps it's different than the one I've been having. I choose to respond differently. And then let's drop down one more. The difference between frantic and focused fear is frantic. When James was calling me and telling me all the stuff that was going on, he was absolutely frantic. When I calmed him down a little bit, we got more focused. And whenever you become focused, you become more attached to that love and aspiration. Fear can get you doing this and that and whatever else you can find out. And so many times I've had people tell me, I read this and I read this and I read this and I, do, I tried this and I tried to manipulate them and I tried to reverse psychology and I tried to cast a spell and on and on and on with these crazy ideas. None of those work because they are frantic. They look frantic to the other person. Then there's the focused ones that say, you know what? I'm going to go in this direction. I've got this bit of information that makes sense to me, and I'm going to go in this direction. I become focused on my target, and I become focused on the way to get there. Into your focus, you're going to be frantic. Remember the difference between fear and love or fear and aspiration? Start with triggered or chosen. Frantic. Is that automatic? It's just triggered. You choose to be focused. You choose to find the best material, the best resource, the best theory, the best approach, and then you follow it with focus. Now let's talk about two more words, the difference between survive and thrive mentality. Fear is about survival. When people are stuck in that fear place about their marriage, They're telling me about the things that they feel threaten their survival. 
Now, let me say feel because most people come through a divorce. If that were to happen and survive, that is the standard for the people. They might not survive the way they wanted to. They may not have the life they want, but they do make it through. And so when we have people who are fearing that they can't survive, how can I survive with less income? Or how can I survive with less retirement? Or how can I survive with less access to the kids? How can I survive without? And they name it and they're stuck in that fear place because the survival mode, I'm fearing my survival. That's all about the fear place. But when we decide to thrive, then no matter what happens to us, no matter what happens in our lives, we can thrive. That's a different place. That's aspirational. I'll choose to thrive. If the worst comes to happen, I'll learn from it. I'll get back up and I'll keep moving forward. It'll hurt, but I will keep on moving forward. If I don't know what else to do, I'll learn from that and I'll learn the lessons from that and I'll take it in and I'll step forward. That's all about thriving. The mentality of I can grow through this. I can make the way through this. I will be fine on the other side. That's thriving. Now, let me tell you one last thing. When I watch people save their marriage and work to save their marriage, they are people of courage. And it comes from the heart. And when it comes from the heart, it's already in a thriving place. I'm always humbled by how hard people work to save their marriage. I always say my clients, my clients are heroes in my mind because they're taking on something that culture says toss aside. It's too hard. Move on. If the marriage isn't working, toss it aside. You can just file some paperwork and you'll be fine. But the people I come in contact with have chosen a different approach. And they say, you know what? I want to live up to my commitment. I want to build a relationship I'm proud of. I want to build a relationship that shows my kids what they can build. I want to build something that is fulfilling for both of us. Now, we're aspirational. We're hopeful. Now, we're looking at the thriving place. That's heroic work. That's courageous work. Fear is about chance. Love and aspiration is about choice. When people are stuck in that fear place, they act as if it just happened to them. They had no way of dealing with this. It wasn't, you know, it's just kind of came up on me somehow. Something happened and it just was by chance that this happened. The people recognize when they are in that love and hope and aspirational place that it's about a choice. They can choose to go down one route or another route. That we don't just wander through the wilderness of relationships. We get to choose the route we want to take. We get to choose how we connect with our spouse. We get to choose how we work on that. That's the difference between chance and choice. Fearful people only see the chances just kind of happen. Aspirational people, when they make the shift over to aspiration, then they see the choices that are available which means that fear is also default. That's just our regular way of being, the part of the brain that is looking for threat. We can't disconnect it and we really don't want to because there are times in our lives when we need that primitive part of the brain to say, whoa, this is dangerous, this is not safe. When I'm on my trail runs, there are times when I need my amygdala to be warning me that something is not right, something's dangerous. 
when I was running today, it was slippery, it was wet, and I was running right beside a drop-off. And I had to be careful with my feet. I wanted to make sure to make it through there. So I needed to be focused. But at the same time, my amygdala had warned me that I needed to pay attention. It was slippery, it was messy, and I needed to watch it. So that place of the blood of the brain being on default of threat, it's not bad. It's just that we don't want it all the time because then we move from default. We move to decide. And what I love about the word decide is it means to kill off. It's about getting rid of another alternative. So if you're sitting here going, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should work on my marriage or not. Well, you get to choose. And either choice is up to you. But if you choose to work on your relationship, you kill off the fact that you're going to just let it go the way it's going to go. You kill off that because you're decided this, you've headed in this direction. And so you kill off all other options. And that's an important thing to think about. I've read a story years ago about somebody who had needed to get across a field and they could either go way down the fence and turn up and go to where they needed to go, or they could cross the field and be there in no time. There was only one problem in that field was a bull. And so as the person was standing there, he took his hat off, threw it over the fence, and the other person said, what are you doing? And he said, well, now I've got my hat on the other side. I'm going to have to climb in. Once I'm in, I might as well take off. And that's what I mean by deciding, killing off the other option. The option of walking all the way around was gone because the hat went over. He had thrown his hat across the fence and was ready to go. He climbed across, grabbed his hat, and took off for home. Now, is that safe? Well, that's not the whole point of the story. The point of the story is, is that deciding, and sometimes we make a choice, we decide to go in a way that might seem scary to us, recognizing that many times the scary is not in actuality so scary. And the place where we don't know what to do, we can find how to do it. So making that choice to decide to go that direction is the important part. Now let me say the final one is probably the most crucial. Fear is about me, aspiration is about we. Let me repeat that. Fear is about me. Inspiration is about we. If you have heard me talk about this, we is the focus of marriage. You're trying to get to a place of being a team, of having each other's back, of being in this together. And when you don't do that, you're acting as a me. And it's what do I get and what's threatening me and what's dangerous for me. And whenever we're functioning from a me perspective, it's going to be very difficult to save the relationship because What you're focused on is what am I getting out of this and what am I about to lose? That's the wrong focus. How can we move forward in better ways? Now that's magic. And so part of your task is to ask the question, how can I step into we? Which brings us into the hope, into the aspiration of this relationship. Whenever you can leave the me behind and step into we, Now, remember, that doesn't mean you lose yourself to the relationship. It means you bring your best self to the relationship. But you're seeing yourself as a team. Suddenly, you move to that aspirational place. So let's move you to that aspiration. Let's move you to the place where you become responsible, that you choose your path, 
You become focused on where you're getting to. You thrive as you move forward. You make a choice, you decide, and you build a we. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to the podcast, Save Your Marriage by Restoring the Man. For further information, visit the Fortified Spouse at www.fortifiedspouse.com. Thank you.